Hi, this is Brad Redderson, and welcome to Stranova, a bi-weekly audio business program exploring the intersection of cutting-edge business strategy and the innovations that can ignite business growth. As an entrepreneur with over 30 years experience leading high-tech organizations, I've constantly sought out new ideas that could take business to an entirely new level of performance. For Stranova, I've invited some of the most innovative business leaders out there and asked them to share their ideas with you. So sit back, listen, and consider what some of these new thoughts might mean to your business as we begin this week's episode of Stranova. To adapt a line from Thomas Edison, entrepreneurship can be thought of as 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration, right? Because even if you do have the greatest of ideas, you still have to do the marketing research, develop the business plan, raise the funds, hire your key people, create the prototypes, convince the customers they need your product, get it tested and adopted, develop the manufacturing process, ship it, bill for it, and maintain it so everybody's happy. Lots of work, lots of frustration, lots of perspiration to go with that inspiration. Right? Not always. You know, quite frankly, I think we make things far more difficult than they need to be sometimes, especially when it comes to launching something new. Our guest this week, Susan Reeve, is an established serial entrepreneur who will give you some insight on perhaps another approach and another way to think about this whole concept of entrepreneurship. As you listen to her story, I ask you first to hear loud and clear how easily her inspirations not only come to mind, but also take root and blossom with far less frustration and, it appears, heavy toil than most of us apply when launching our own businesses. It almost seems to happen by accident, and yet it just keeps on happening, and the business keeps on rolling forward. How is this possible? Let's listen in. Susan, welcome to Stranova. I'm so glad to be here with you, Brad. You know, as I consider all I know about your business ventures, there are three ways of looking at your career that have struck me. You're a serial entrepreneur, one with a string of successes behind you. You're an opportunistic entrepreneur who can both see an opportunity and act on it seemingly much more rapidly than most of us. And you're also an accidental entrepreneur who seems to have a knack for what, to an outsider at least, seems like you know how to stumble into exactly the right place to start something new. Do any of these phrases ring true for you as a good description? Yeah, you know, I've never thought of it described in those three ways, but they all do. So with that framework in mind, can you give an example of one of the ventures that you've started that you're most proud of? One of them is called Celebrate a Hero. It's a web-based company that's used to create celebration journals honoring people you love. And, and I love the way this came about. A dear friend of mine, Joan Briner, was celebrating her 50th birthday. She had recently sold a business, and she and her husband invited 20 of us to Jamaica to celebrate Joan's birthday. And I wanted to give her the best, the best present in the world. And I was in the midst of the divorce, moving into a new house, and even though I wanted to give her the best present in the world, I didn't get it together. And so two days before I left for Jamaica, I got a great idea. And I was at one of my clients, and I used a computer there, and I wrote prompts at the top of the page. My birthday wish for you is you're special because 
what I love about you is. And then I went to a copy store and I colored Xerox with some photographs of Joan as a child, those pages. And when I arrived in Jamaica, I gave everybody this book to write messages for Joan. And then the night of her birthday, the big party of this weekend, I gave her this book and said to her, this is who you are through the eyes of people who love you. And I really felt that I had given her a wonderful gift. She read it the next morning, was so moved by it that she decided that everybody in the world should have a Celebrate journal. And that was the birth of CelebrateAHero.com, which continues today. Had you had any thought at the time of turning this into a full business? None at all. It didn't even occur to me. The, the impetus was I wanted to give Joan the best present in the world. And this little idea has turned into something that has touched quite a few people and actually turned into quite a business. It's a wonderful product, easy to use, and it's been available for a year and a half or possibly two years free of charge for anyone who has a loved one in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in harm's way. And here's an example of where you started a business with virtually nothing and from an inspiration. It reminds me actually of a story when I was early in my career and gobbling up information on entrepreneurship and, and invention left and right. And I sat in on a talk from a gentleman who was giving examples of how anybody can be an entrepreneur. And he gave the example of a friend of his whose son in the middle of the summer was complaining that he didn't have anything to do, he wanted to earn some money, and didn't know how to pull that off. So the man said, tell you what, here's a dollar, go down to the grocery store, buy a six pack of soft drinks, and come back, put it in the refrigerator, and we'll talk. Kid came back with the one dollar's worth of soft drinks. Yes, that was a long time ago. And after a few hours, it was chilled, and the man said, tell you what, now go on the street corner and sell that six-pack of soft drinks that I gave you a dollar for. Sell it at a dollar a can each. I can guarantee you on this hot summer day that you will make money. And so out of that simple idea, that boy was cranking in the dollars all summer. Gives an example of how with the right idea, the right timing, the right place, you don't have to have a lot of startup capital and you can actually do something. And you did a lot more. Now clearly this is not like starting, say, Microsoft or Apple computer from scratch, but do we just make things too hard in general when we're talking about entrepreneurship and suggest a large barrier ahead of us when there really isn't one? We make them hard in our mind and then we make them complicated in terms of the implementation. And I think that sometimes just starting where you are and acknowledging any bit of progress along the way keeps the momentum and the energy going. So what happened in this case here when, when your friend said, I want everyone to have this, what were the actual steps that happened? Well, she told me that and I got extremely excited about it. And she first did a sample. My 50th birthday was coming up. And so she set up a web page for me on the internet. And I gave her the names and email addresses of friends and family. She invited them. And so she created one using the internet. And then we started 
asking ourselves, who do we know who knows about Internet-based businesses? And in asking that question, we got names of people, and names of people set us in the direction of coming up with a plan of what our next steps would be. You know, we were learning a new industry, so there was a lot to learn, and in all that we had to learn, there was an enormous amount of excitement. And so we found web designers. We found a company that could create the technology because the technology that we were using had never been done before. The ability for a variety of people to write in their responses and then to have that automatically formatted so that it would be different for every single book was made hadn't been done before. And then we started telling our friends about it. And then we started marketing it. And we have approached large companies. We thought it would be a great product for something like Hewlett Packard because one of the ways that you can use this is that you can print it yourself. So we thought it would be a great product because they can be printed in color. And that would then create the opportunity, as we saw it, for a printer company to sell more ink. Which any printer company would certainly be happy with, I'm sure. In building on your whole concept here, there is a trend in technology which has been going on for a long time. But you know, you think about it maybe 100 years ago, we were still in the days of the craftsman, the, the, the person who was an expert. And an example was any suit or piece of clothing that you would buy was typically something that was custom made to some extent for you. And it's only been in recent times, maybe the last 40, 50 years, that you actually see things off the rack appearing. Now, as time has, has moved forward, then we went into this mass production phase. But us human beings are very stubborn. We would like to see novelty mm -hmm. and differentiation from person to person. And so then people said, well, let's do what we call mass customization, where you build in the capability of the customer to buy from a series of choices, all of which are mass produced, but the end result is something very individual for him or her. Now we're coming full circle, which is that with the technology that we have, we can now create literally things that used to cost an amazing amount of money on demand. And not to put in a plug here, but that's exactly what we're doing here in a podcast. This used to require a fancy recording studio, expensive equipment. You had to be distributed through a radio station, let alone cable, something like that. And now, you know, literally it can be done in somebody's home in the space of, you know, an hour to go through that. So I'm just thinking about your celebrated hero. It's mm -hmm. interesting. You're actually on the bandwagon of something well before all the pundits figured it out, you know, being able to mass produce your own celebratory book. So with this as a background, something that you're very proud of that you've created as a new business, I'm curious about your process when you actually go forward. It almost sounds like it becomes born almost from scratch with nothing there and then you don't go through the normal steps that everybody else does. Is there a process that you go through looking at, say, the market, some opportunities in that area? and what you might be able to charge for something, cost, potential volume, et cetera, before you get started? It's a great question because even before I know what it is, it generally comes about through some sense of disgruntlement or boredom or dissatisfaction. And through that, 
I get a yearning or an urge. Something pops into my mind. I mean, it's just happened recently. My new book is just about ready to go to the printer. And it occurred to me a few weeks ago, I was just wondering about how can I get this story out? And then I woke up one morning and I had the idea to create a documentary. Well, I've never created a documentary before. And what happens with me is I don't check the market. I don't take a look at what's out there. I really trust that when I have an urge that it's something for me to follow. And then I start following it. So I've recently become a member of an online group called DocuLink that is composed of its members are documentary filmmakers. And so I'm starting to find out about what's involved in creating a documentary film and how can I go about doing this. So I really honor that urge. And then it's as if I ask myself, okay, what's the next step? And I listen. And sometimes the next step is I share the idea with someone and they give me some suggestions. Or sometimes the next step is, well, how can you find people who are already doing something like this? And I begin to gather information. And as I get the information, I gather momentum. And then I see if I continue with it along the way. You know, from your last comment, there's two points that come to mind. First one is that when I think about inventing, a lot of times what I will tell people is that this isn't about coming up with the most creative solution to something. It's actually about coming up with the best question to create a solution for. Because if you've got a good problem, a good question, you're more likely to have a more interesting answer. Then on your end, you're talking about the yearning, which is at the gut beginning of forming that question. That there's a need for something different, don't know what it is, but I'm looking for something to solve the following. So that very much supports that same kind of philosophy, though obviously from a slightly different perspective. You obviously do some things in a similar way and some things in a very different way from others. What do you see that's unique about you as a creator of new businesses? What I bring that's unique is I think that all people who experience success in their life bring it to the table. And one of the things is my willingness to run it up the flagpole. You know, when I have an idea, I'm willing to express what it is, start talking about it with some people without an attachment to whether or not I follow through on it, to just begin to get it out there. So that willingness to play with an idea, to experiment with an idea, and to ask for support, to allow other people's energy, ideas, into my idea, you know, what starts as my idea and allow it to expand. Something that I've also had to learn is to, you know, if I met with a no, it's really up to me to go on to next rather than take the rejection so personally that I'm incapacitated. I think there's another piece and that is how success is defined. I mean, I made a decision a very long time ago in the, in the 1970s that my dream 
was to have the opportunity to expand my own sense of satisfaction and my own ability to share my gifts rather than to build a large company. And that decision has very much influenced how I've defined success. And so I think how we each define success has a lot to do with truly with our success in the world. I want to use my gifts. I want to enjoy my life. I want to have time for my friends and family. And I want to be of service. Good thoughts to think about for a few moments as we take a short break. We'll be right back. Stranova, we're talking to Susan Reeve, the inventor of many different businesses, including Celebrate a Hero. Susan, you talked in our pre-interview that growing up as a girl was actually a benefit because you didn't have to achieve at work, as you said. Many of our listeners, even the most politically incorrect of them, would tend to be shocked at that kind of a statement because it would seem being expected to achieve was the more common route for those that later become successful in business. Why do you see this aspect of growing up as a girl as having helped you? Well, I think I, there was an enormous amount of freedom in that. I've been thinking about this, and I think it's a combination of growing up as a girl, and I was also the first one in my family, my immediate family, to graduate from college. My mother had to leave college during the Depression. My oldest sister had to leave because of a serious illness. And so I grew up with three women, my two sisters and my mother, who worked, liked working, but it didn't seem as if they were defined by their work. And my dad, who worked very hard, I mean, he was out working, he ran in a grocery store, worked for himself, was successful at that in terms of he enjoyed it, and it had a great time growing up. So we were provided with, you know, much more than just the necessities. And there wasn't pressure on me to, I had to become a doctor, or I had to become a lawyer, or I had to even become a teacher, which was very popular at that time for women. So it was assumed that I would work, but there wasn't this pressure of what that had to look like. So I had the opportunity to explore. So I think that lack of pressure to I must be a certain way, the enthusiasm and encouragement and support in my family of being the first one to graduate from college and then to go on to graduate school. And I really felt that 
so many of the men who I know now grew up with so much more pressure of having to perform in the world of work. I knew a good job was important. And it wasn't, that isn't where all of my sense of who I am as a person rested. And for those of us that have found ourselves in situations where we aren't working, it really does sometimes affect that image of who we are, perhaps more than it should. Let me ask you a different question here, Susan. For those of us who've had the, the wonderful opportunity to know you in person, you come across as a very different type than what I at least think of as an entrepreneur. You give all this aura of calm and peace that is so different from the hard-charging, I-want-it-now, type A personalities many of us associate with entrepreneurs. And yet, whenever I check in with you, you're one of the busiest people I've ever met and generally all related to one of your business ventures or your philanthropic missions in one form or another. Do you consider yourself a different breed of entrepreneur? I meet people who are like me, so I don't feel that different. But as I hear you describe it, I know that there aren't a lot of people who are as happy as I am or who truly believe that it's possible to live our dreams. I mean, I truly live that way. And it's taken work to live this way. In the early 70s, I had finished graduate school and I was working as a director of a social service department in a rehabilitation center. And I worked with people with extremely serious situations, people who had recently had strokes or spinal cord injury as a result of some kind of accident. And I think I burned out, but that word wasn't in the vocabulary at the time. And so I took out the book called uh, What Color Is Your Parachute, which was a relatively new book at that time. Maybe it was the first or second year it was out or whatever. And it asked somewhere in there, I did all the exercises religiously. I took it very seriously, and one of the questions was, you know, what would be a good job title for you? And what came up for me was person, with the idea that, you know, being a person is a full-time job, and sometimes I get paid for it, and sometimes I don't. It kind of makes me smile to think of that now. I think that was a defining moment for me, that being a person and being all that I can be, whether that's on the floor sometimes in the afternoon playing with my grandkids, or if that is getting more information and learning how to make a documentary and beginning to explore how do I generate the funds for that, there's really no difference between those two activities as long as they're satisfying to me. And I am committed to contributing to peace on earth through how I am a person. That's my number one job. And being a person, at least you have your toolkit with you all the time. Absolutely. And it's taken this much time. I'm in my mid-50s. It's taken this much time to establish that toolkit and to truly see everything that's come before as in some way contributing to where I am today. Well, you certainly have a very different attitude and approach to what it means to start a business and what it means to balance everything back and forth in your life. I'm wondering, is there a message in this last answer of yours that might provide some advice for future business entrepreneurs that are out there listening and thinking about starting their own venture? I think it's the courage to allow yourself to know your dreams. 
your willingness to articulate them, to ask for help, and to take one step and acknowledge that you've taken the step. And then allow that step to take you to the next step. While I believe it's helpful to have a plan in place, I ultimately believe that the purpose of a plan is to give my mind the comfort in knowing that I seem to have some clear direction. And that once I have the plan in mind and my, and my mind is satisfied, then I can take the steps and be open to what presents itself. Now I also find related to the plan that I tend to anticipate a lot and a plan can allow me a bit of peace and calm saying, I know I at least have one way of figuring this out that's on the table and I can set that on the shelf and then live whatever happens. Exactly. I, I, I was a number of years ago, also this was in the early 70s, went to a workshop where we spent three days developing a plan for, I can't remember what mine was for now. It, it actually may have been starting my own management consulting practice. And we wrote it down in detail and when things were going to be done and who was going to do them. And then the person leading this group said to us on the third day at the end of the session, take your plan and rip it up. And you could hear the <gasps> in the room, the gas. What, what do you mean? We just spent three days working on this plan. And it was a reminder that the map is not the territory. We were now very clear about our goals. We knew steps to take along the way. And that it was important for us to now look outside rather than have our head buried in the plan and miss all the opportunities and all the information that was presenting itself along the way. Well, that last statement about losing something along the way really ties into my next question, which is related to another topic that we often bring up when we talk about entrepreneurs, and that topic is work-life balance. And the reason we bring it up is because it seems that more often than not for entrepreneurs, there is no work-life balance. In fact, in Silicon Valley, where only a few years ago we were in the middle of a very crazy boom, Cots in the hallway for people who slept there at night and never left the plant was very common. You seem to achieve work-life balance by being busy all the time, but your busyness involves what seems to be a balance between philanthropic and for-profit ventures. Is that correct, and is that a conscious choice for you? Yeah, it's totally conscious, and the balance is crucial because both sides are part of the whole, and I'm nourished by both. So on days that, and I recently had a day like this, that I was spent a lot of time with my grandkids, that day counts as much as a day that I am writing, a day that I'm someplace speaking. I really don't delineate much between work and, and my personal life. And it isn't that work is taking over my life, as happens with some people. It's a combination. It's all part of the whole. I can be waiting for my granddaughter at school and have a conversation with another mother that triggers an idea that may turn into something that I turn into a piece of my business. And it may be along the journey of my business that I come up with something that I'd like to share with my family or a place I'd like to go on a vacation. 
And so isn't it funny, even as we're talking about work-life balance, you begin to show how the concept that we started this whole conversation with about the opportunistic and accidental entrepreneur, that your entrepreneurship goes both directions, that you can take an idea that you see in your personal life and turn it into a business idea, and you can take something that you come up with in your business life and turn it into something to benefit your family, your home, and the philanthropic causes. So with that, Susan, one final question for you. What's next for you, just so our listeners know where they need to be investing their money next? I'm very excited about my new book, which is called The Gift of the Acorn. It will be out in mid-October and available on my website, www.susan.reeve.com and the documentary that I plan on creating that goes with that book. And the documentary is to document how people are expressing their love in the world. So I'm looking for investors who want to back a film. I'm interested in the opportunity to speak to groups of people in, in organizations, in associations, to create the opportunity for people to connect with the seeds of love within them and then how they express those, how they express those in their personal life, how they express those in their, in their work life. Because I truly believe when that loving energy is combined with our action in the world, magic happens, worlds open, possibilities come to form. And it's thrilling for me to be part of that, certainly in my own life, and to offer that portal, that opening, that doorway for people to really connect with what their heart song is. Well, that's a great way to end this particular episode. And I encourage you all to take a look at Susan's website and read more about all the various things she's doing. Well, Susan, once again, thank you for joining us for this episode of Stranova. Great to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, I expected this to be a very different episode of Stranova, and it certainly was, wasn't it? You know, Susan's business creations may not get all the press of an Apple computer with its digital music business, Spaceship One with its human spaceflight endeavor, or perhaps the spin-offs from the Human Genome Project with their attempts to link our understanding of every gene ultimately to cures for Alzheimer's and maybe even cancer. Yet they stem from the same innate desire to create, gifted with the insight to know somewhat instinctively, as Susan herself has said, which little acorn might sometime grow into the largest of trees. It doesn't always have to take the hardest of work to make that conversion if you have the will and the acorn's nature has the way. So as you consider your next entrepreneurial venture, may I suggest both to reach for the sky and don't always feel you have to try so hard because if it's already in the acorn's DNA to become a great tree, all you may have to do to harvest its majesty once you've found it is to plant it in the right place and then let nature take its course. That's my reflection for this week, and thanks for listening. For further information on the topics discussed in this week's show, as well as for other information on the intersection of strategy and innovation, please visit us at www.stranova.com. 
Also, if you have any comments on this week's show or suggestions for future shows, please feel free to contact us at ideas at stranova.com. This recording is copyright 2005 by Brad Redderson. And this is Brad Redderson thanking all of you for joining us this week on Stranova. <laughs>